Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Turn up your volume. Your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast with Tony Marinero. Sports entertainment like no other. It's going to be sick. Brought to you by Essentia, the world's only natural memory foam mattress. Beyond organic sleep. Cherry River Hard Seltzer. Only 90 calories, natural flavors, and no preservatives. Now available in Quebec Grocers and the Beer Store. And Johnny Bootlegger's Whiskey Old Fashioned is both refreshing and authentic to the classic cocktail. Available now at Saks near you. Marinero, the sick podcast. There are podcasts, and then there are podcasts. There are interviews, chats, and discussions, and then there's the vice president of FIFA and the president of CONCACAF, Victor Montagliani. What an honor. Thanks, Tony. Uh, gr- great to be on your podcast. Maybe an appropriate name. You have an appropriate shirt. I think you can even add a few letters there. Pazzo in tutto. <laughs> <laughs> it is the sick podcast, and the show is brought to you by Essentia, the world's only natural memory foam mattress. Go to myessentia.com slash sickpod and use code sickpod for a free pillow. With your purchase, Essentia Beyond Organic Sleep. Speaking of sleep, if people were sleeping, they definitely woke up after a quote that you gave a couple of days ago when you did the rounds of the media yourself. When asked about supporting a um, a women's league in Canada, one of the things you talked about was the media. Elaborate on that if you can. Yeah, I mean, listen, of course... Um, you know, with the, with the girls winning the gold medal, the, um, the questions were asked to the girls about having our own women's league here, uh, or having women's professional clubs here, which obviously I think it's, uh, time to do that. But, you know, the one, the question was asked to me in the media scrum, I took a bit of an offense to, I guess the the tone of the question because they were putting the responsibility at the feet of the Canadian Soccer Association. And I just felt that was, one, very inappropriate. Two, uh, it was also a lack of respect to the Canadian Soccer Association, who has done a tremendous amount of work. Of course, not everybody's perfect, and we can sit here and point to mistakes that were made along the way. But I, but I think there's, their commitment and their support of the women's team has been unequivocal and probably unparalleled in the world. Uh, first and foremost, you know, the girls that have won bronzes in, in London and in Rio and now a gold are part of a program where the CSA subsidized their salary for the last decade. OK, so the girls that have been playing in WSL, their salaries were either paid in whole or part uh, by the Canadian Soccer Association in an MOU that we did what, way back in 2011, I believe it was. Of which, if which, if I can, for those who are not aware, you would have, of course, great knowledge of the situation because you were once upon a time the president of the Canadian Soccer Association. Continue. And that's when we did it. Uh, and so uh, so that was one. Two, 
We also invested in sort of the Rex program uh, when we brought John on board uh, to ensure that we identified talent through the system. A lot of the talent you're seeing now uh, that played on the pitch in Tokyo were identified years ago uh, as part of uh, part of the Rex program. Uh, again, an investment by the Canadian Soccer Association and its members and its members, not just the CSA, in terms of in terms of identifying talent. And then obviously we took on a tremendous risk in hosting the under 20 Women's World Cup in 2014 and also the Women's World Cup in 2015, which was a tremendous success. And these are all things I think that have led to creating an environment, right, by the Canadian Soccer Association that can now attract investors, right? And so I, I, I wanted to go on record for that. And obviously there's two things that a league always needs, Tony. One is investors. We've seen it with the MLS. We've seen it with the CPL. But the other thing is you need to have media partners, right? Media partners that understand it, that get it, that are your partners, that are not just rights holders, okay? And I've seen this throughout the world. So I'm not speaking in a vacuum here. And so and I've, I have felt that the traditional media in this country, right, has seen football as just rights holders rather than actual partners who really look at a way to propagate the sport and, and move it forward in a way that I've seen done in other jurisdictions. And that was my criticism. It wasn't that they're not showing games or they're showing games. Those are all linear things. It, to me, it's about really becoming a partner with the sport, um, specifically with women's soccer now, where there's an opportunity, I think, to really show some growth as we move forward. And to me, I think it's important. But if those other markets that you were probably talking about uh, where there were partners was probably Europe, it's understandable because no. football is the number one sport. Where, where are those markets? Because what I wanted to get at was totally understand your point, but you know this as well as I do. This is a hockey first, hockey second, hockey third country, whether you like it or not. That's just reality. Is it not? Oh, 100 uh, yeah. percent. Maybe hockey fourth. Yeah. Uh, and so that's my point is that I understand the business. I understand it as well as anybody. I understand that it's about numbers. It's about figures. I understand that. But I also know there's a way to when you are committed and understand our sport. Okay. Yeah. And understand the values of it. And, and as I said, I've done deals in the U S I've done deals in all the countries that mm, it's not necessarily, I've seen how deals are done in Australia, quite honestly, they're different, Tony. It's not just about games. It's about, you know, how you can build uh, sort of how you can build a deal to help promote the sport. It's not just showing, not about just showing the game. It's about telling the stories, telling the narrative. And so, you know, for me, uh, I mean, we just did a deal at CONCACAF very similar to that with our women's program with CBS. And it wasn't just about cash. It was about how they are going to build that platform for us. And so I actually think it can be done. I think it just takes – I personally, I think it takes leadership, and you need to care, Tony. And that has always been my issue. People don't care that you know if they don't know that you care. And my issue has always been that when I speak to people, quite frankly, in the media in this country, I could tell they don't care about my football. Yes, okay, you care about hockey, but you got you to gotta care about something. Cabo, right? I care. So, 
Of course you care. When I say media, I don't mean media talent. Of course, there's a lot of good football people in this country, people that cover football in the thing. That I'm not talking about that. I'm the I'm, best, though. I, <laughs> yeah, well, yes <laughs> or no? That's why. you're. Of course you're the best. Thank you. I, I'm talking about at another level about strategy. I'm just talking yeah. about strategy. And it, as you can tell, it's a bit of a frustration for me. Uh, and, um, and, and the only reason I mention it is because yeah. I, think, I think it's an opportunity now. It, I'm not even criticizing them. I, I, it's more of a call to action to say, hey, we have an, it. it's an opportunity now with the women's. Let's not lose the opportunity. I'm happy we're discussing this because I have a couple of ideas that I'm going to throw your way. It's the sick podcast. I'm Marinaro. You can go to sportbuffshop.com for all of your officially licensed sports apparel and more. Use code SICK15 for 15% off on all of their items. This is one of the things that I've picked up on because I, I, I too, watch very closely. I listen very carefully. And I find that when a lot of people in this country talk about football or European football or our football, which here they call soccer, I find that they've studied what they have to say and they say it, but I can tell that they don't watch all the time and I can tell that they don't listen all the time. They do the interview because they have to do the interview. And I agree with you that sometimes it really sounds like they don't care. But my opinion on this matter is this. I don't think enough people in our country that are working, covering the sport, really know a lot about the sport. And, and I say that, I mean, I, I mean, no disrespect, really, when I say that. I just think that, you know, we talked about how big hockey is here. And I think a lot of people watch soccer in the eyes of hockey. And they think, you know what, it's a similar game. One is 11 v. 11. The other one is 6 v. 6. One has a soccer ball. One has a puck. One passes with their foot. The other one passes with their stick. Both the objectives is to score goals in both sports. The reality is, other than those things, the sports couldn't be more different. And I, one of the things I think should have been done a long time ago, and it's never too late, and you'll tell me if something like this has been done before, if you think or if you agree with me, is that those who, um, those with Canada, for example, Canada soccer or U.S. soccer, I really believe should go around the country and try and educate as many people as possible, parents, coaches, players, or even the media. Have media events. Have media Zoom calls. Invite the media on your Zoom calls. Give them a tactical presentation. Give them, uh, show them what a practice session would be like on Zoom. Is that crazy? No, it's actually not crazy because I think education, like anything, like anything is, is, is paramount. And I don't disagree with you. I mean, I, I, I remember I went into a talk show here locally in Vancouver, uh, a pretty prominent talk show, a uh, sports talk show. Uh, and it was the morning of Canada, Mexico, World Cup qualifier in the semifinal round. And before we went on there, the guy said, so what's the meaning of this game? <laughs> Mama, oh. So to me, that is, I, I get it. You're not a football guy, right? Or a soccer guy. I get that. Okay. Uh, you know, I'm not a horse racing guy, but if I was interviewing you for the Kentucky Derby, God, so I would, I, I, I would do my homework. No. Yeah. And, and so that's what I'm talking about. Carrot. Right. And, and, and I agree with you. There has to be an education. You know, I, I, somebody made a comment to me, you know, once that about, well, you know, the national team, you know, wasn't that good. It was unwatchable. Hold on. 
it's a national team. First of all, we've had good national teams in the past. Yeah. You know, you, people forget that. And with all the respect to th- this group of players who are fantastic, they haven't done anything yet. But we had some national teams that had John that, that had De Guzman on there, Bernier on there. Yeah. We had good teams. Okay. Fine. They didn't get they didn't climb the mountain. Fair enough. But to say that our teams were unwatchable, it's because again, you're right, Tony. It's the lack of it's a lack of education. Listen, with all the respect. My NHL team here, and I've been a season ticket holder for years, they're 50 years old. Maybe at 40 years, they've been unwatchable too here. Okay? Yeah, yeah. All right? Listen, I, I can't force people to love the sport, but I find that over the years, it's almost like I've tried to do it. I just find that not enough people in our beautiful country love the beautiful game. And, and um, you know, I, 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 I talk to people about it. And, um, yeah, people in my circle – love it and the parents when i go to soccer practice love it but outside of that not enough people should love a game that's so beautiful yeah i know listen and, and it's also listen we got to take a lot of responsibility uh for, uh in terms of the canadian soccer family not the csa itself or the provinces but the family of uh, we need to our strategy has been two grassroots and we have to know we have to understand and we've had moments in mm-hmm. this whether it's sellouts with the men's team, whether it's four and a half million people watching the women's team in the gold medal, those are iconic moments where you can create the juice in the times when maybe it's not as interesting. Uh, and so, and I think we've lacked some cohesion in the, in the football family here. You know, everybody thinks they know the game better than the other person um, rather than understanding how it should be done and how governance should be done. Uh, and, um, and so I think we have some responsibility in that too. Uh, it's not just the, it's not the media's fault um, or, or lack of investors. It's, it's a strategy around it. I think when the CPL was launched, we actually fixed that. Uh, and I think we can do it again um, for the women's, for the women's side and the women's part of the game in terms of, again, creating the right environment to get something going. So our Canadian women win Olympic gold in Tokyo in soccer, of course. And at the end of the game, Christine Sinclair says, we need a women's league now after three medals, one of which is gold. If we're not going to get our women's league now, we probably never will. You lobbied for the longest time for us to have a men's league, which came to fruition, of course, with the Canadian Premier League. I'm probably going to put you on the spot here, uh, but I know you're a big boy and you can take it. This Canadian Premier League, based on what you've seen, couple of years in, would you say successful? Absolutely. Yes or no? <clears throat> Absolutely. And not only not only is it successful just a few years in, it survived that pandemic. And there's many leagues in the world because, you know, I, I you know, with my other hat, I have to govern uh, a lot of these leagues that didn't even survive the pandemic. And they have survived the pandemic. They scratched and clawed and did a bubble in the PEI and then they didn't want to Winnipeg and now they're starting the regular season. That shows tremendous, tremendous commitment. And so, yeah, absolutely. It's very difficult to not call it a success. Uh, and as you can see with the team that is playing in the CONCACAF League, you know, it's coming, you know. And, uh, and in the Canadian Championships, they pulled up some upsets with MLS teams. Uh, so, yeah, absolutely successful. So based on what you've seen, of course, in the Canadian Premier League, is it um, reasonable to think that we can have – a women's league in Canada and that it will draw and, and that it will 
be profitable? Or will it be a venture for those who want to get involved and that are going to have to do it for the love of the game because it's not going to be profitable? Well, as I said, with the CPL, what happened was we created, CSA created an environment, okay, that allowed investors to come in and then uh, a media company, a foreign media company, ironically, to come in to invest. And I think with the women's, and Christina's right, uh, half right, in that, you know, we've won two bronzes and a gold, and, you know, what else do you need? My other part of it is we didn't need to win two bronze and a gold to say that we need a women's league because – We've had a good women's program for a long, long time, which she's, mm-hmm. been, she's been at the forefront of since she was the age of 16, 17. Yeah. Right? So regardless, I mean, it's always great to win. Don't get me wrong. It helps the narrative. And so I, I think the environment has been set, right, for this. And it's not, you know, is it on the backs of the CPL? You know, uh, is that realistic? You know, with all the respect, we also have three MLS teams here. What what are they doing, Right. And, pro- and this is my whole point. This is where Canadian soccer family needs to get in a room to figure this out. This is not about CPL or MLS or one versus the other. This is about all the stakeholders coming together and figuring this out. It doesn't have to be like an NWSL model. It doesn't have to be like the CPL was or like the MLS. But there is a model, and we may have to f- start off smaller than you know coast to coast or whatever, uh, maybe it's only based in the two or three provinces. That's fine. The point is you need to create so many jobs for players, coaches, and administrators, period. Quite honestly, if it, that means th- that this professional league is only in Ontario, Quebec to start with, I'm okay with that, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and, and maybe it builds out from there. And so, uh, so what I'm saying is, but those discussions have to be held by the leaders in this country. And, right. and what – And I've identified the leaders as just not soccer people, but also media. Because at the end of the day, it's media that makes the world go around with all sports in the world. Speaking of uh, Quebec, um, I get asked every day in terms of the Canadian Premier League, uh, when will Quebec have a team? Do you know? No, I don't know. Um, you know, it's not like I, I'm pri- privileged to those discussions. Uh, I know it's. I know in the early days it was always um, uh, a very important and a priority to have a team in the in La Belle Provence, and so I don't think that's changed. Quite honestly, I know I've, I've heard various things about people that are interested in, in various uh, places in Quebec. So I, I would think sooner than later it's going to happen, and I think it should happen. And it has to happen because how can you not have a team in La Belle Provence in our, in our National League? It'll be a big party when it does, and we'll call sophistication event rentals, live music, DJ sound system, tents, chairs, tables, decor, lighting, photo booth, TV screens, your one-stop shop in Montreal, 514-570-5770. You see the way I did that? I told you I was the best. All right, okay. Uh, you know, sooner or later – we were hearing it was going to happen that the U.S. program was going to be on par with Mexico's national program or better. Um, you are the president of CONCACAF. Um, Mexico, for the longest time, has been at the, the top of CONCACAF. What I saw from Team USA, their, their national team, in the Nations Cup and in the Gold Cup, I have to tell you, I don't know if they've surpassed Mexico, but winning the last couple of competitions, 
Um, I'm not going to ask you if they've arrived because clearly they've arrived. But do you see USA sustaining this, being toe-to-toe with Mexico, if not better, going forward? And do you actually think they can even distance themselves from Mexico? I think the short answer is, yeah, they've arrived. Um, I think um, they had fallen behind there for a little bit, but I think the plethora of young players that have gone to play in top leagues in Europe has paid dividends. Um, And if you look at um, the team that likely will line up on September, the whatever that is, second World Cup qualifying, uh, I would say that, you know, out of the 23-man roster, probably 18 are are European-based and not just European base playing in far off places, playing in top leagues in, in Europe, playing in the Champions League in Europe, and that, you know, and we see that with our own players in Canada, players that are playing at that level. You can you can actually see it in the game when they're playing side by side with teammates that are not playing there. There's a massive difference, and it's the reality of football. It's not that that guy's not as good. It's just it is what it is, right? And, uh, and I see that, that the U.S. has done that. I think Mexico has an outstanding league, an outstanding national team, but they don't have a lot of players that are playing in Europe. Um, and, and I think that eventually, you know, when your players are not playing in the top leagues, it catches up with you. Uh, and I think, I think it's a question of that. Can they distance themselves in short order? Probably not. Um, but, you know, that could happen in 26, for instance. You know, if one goes on, one does much better than the other, that could be the watershed moment. That could be the same for anybody, by the way, including for our country, right? You know, you know, we want to get into that top three narrative, right? Yeah. And, uh, and, and maybe on talent, we're there, quite frankly. Uh, on results, we're not there yet. Uh, but that's, I think, the goal over the next four to five years is to be in that narrative. Whether it's World Cup qualifying or it's football or it's uh, any sport, baseball, you can place your bets on MyBookie. Go to mybookie.ag slash the sick podcast. Use code SICKPICKS for a 50% deposit bonus. Bet, win, get paid. I want to talk to you. Speaking of World Cup qualifying, I want to talk to you about the World Cup in Qatar 2022. How excited should I be about this World Cup in Qatar? I mean, there have been some doubts over the past couple of years whether or not Qatar was going to end up hosting this World Cup. It now seems like absolutely they will. We know the dates, and of course, it's going to be uh, in our winter months, which is not their winter months for them. How optimistic are you that Qatar will do a great job with 2022? Well, I'm not optimistic. Um, I know they'll do a great job. Uh, I've, I've been in enough events even in the last couple of years uh, there when, that they've hosted. Uh, their stadiums that they've built are incredible. The footprint that they've laid out for the World Cup of the eight stadiums is going to be a, an unbelievable fan experience. Um, and the, everything they do is top-notch. And um, I think it's going to be a great World Cup off the field. And I think on the field, I think it'll be a great World Cup. And ironically... It'll be interesting to see because every World Cup is always in June. Of at course. The end, at the end of the season of a player, right? Now we're going to get players who have just loaded up a couple months. Are, in, are at their best probably. And, and not fired. On the World Cup, correct. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see the difference 
uh, from an analytics standpoint, what kind of performances we'll see. Uh, it, could, it could take us to another level. I'm just wondering which cafe I'm going to enter in the months of November and December with my winter boots and this and that. I think I'm going to have to go to Qatar. Hey, absolutely. They're, they're, welcome. they're welcome in the world. Those eight stadiums, how yeah. far are they from each other? Paint the picture for me. So you, Yeah, so let's say Stadium One is the furthest uh, west. I don't know if it's east-west or north-south. Yeah. And Stadium Eight is, uh, is the furthest east. You, you can get to, to Stadium Eight in about an hour and a bit. Oh, wow. Amazing. So it's just imagine, uh, visualize. It's not a direct line, but I think it's a bit of a crisscross. But just imagine the Las Vegas Strip. And you go from Mandalay Bay on one end to uh, whatever's down on the other end. That's so, going to be unbelievable. Uh, it's going to be unbelievable. All yeah. right. As the chair of the World Cup 2026, you are from your, you're at your home right now in BC, I believe, right? Uh, and over the next little while, you are going to be visiting the cities that have all put in uh, a bid to host a game or more in the 2026 World Cup. How many cities is that? We will be visiting uh, a total of 22, 23 cities. Um, um, you know, obviously, the U.S., Mexico, and Canada between the middle of September to the middle of November. And Montreal is not one of them. It was uh, made official a couple of months ago where the city of Montreal actually announced that they were pulling out uh, of hosting uh, a World Cup in 2026 or a game or two. Uh, I got to tell you, when I heard that they were pulling out, I unfortunately, I wasn't surprised, but I was very, very disappointed. A lot of people are wondering, why not? It's the biggest sporting event in the world. It's not every day you have a chance to host or co-host a World Cup. Canada will be uh, in a bid venture co-hosting with USA and Mexico. The sport is growing in our country. I have to ask you, what happened? Well, uh, you know, I, I agree. Very disappointed. It is a disappointment. <laughs> Montreal is a great city. Uh, has hosted many great events. Uh, will likely host many great events in the future. An international city. Uh, we've hosted, you know, we had the Women's World Cup there with the Under-20 Women's World Cup. We even had the Under-20 in 2007 uh, there as well. Um, and so it was a major disappointment, I agree. Uh, but in the end, you know, Tony, uh, uh, you know, the World Cup is different than the Olympics, right? In the Olympics, you got to build a lot of things. In football, we need one thing. We need a stadium. That's it. That's right? it. And everything else, well, okay, hotel and this and that, whatever. And, of course, most international cities don't have those issues. Uh, and at the end of the day, it came down to, um, you know, that not having a, a stadium, uh, of, of the standard as required for a World Cup was just a bridge too far for Montreal. And my, this is my opinion. And they uh, deemed, pardon me, and they deemed that the money that they would have to pump in to Olympic Stadium to bring it to standard was too big a price tag for them. And they probably thought the same thing about the other stadiums that we have in the city. But there are solutions, right? Like modular stadiums, correct? Could they yeah. not have added modular stadiums? I know of one company... I believe that is called Bear that does them. So you add these modular stadiums to your existing stadium, and then you can actually dismantle them, 
and you can you can either sell them or you can keep them in your province and if you've added 20,000 seats you can end up having 10 modular stadiums of 2,000 seats throughout the province and you continue to promote um, soccer at the grassroots level. Could they not have done that? Yeah, this is, there's a solution to every problem. I mean, obviously, Olympic Stadium itself, modular, wouldn't have been, wouldn't have been an option. Not Olympic Stadium, no. But let's just say they would have added modular to Saputo or to McGill. Possibly, yeah. Now, would it meet the standards? I don't know. But okay. it, it, it would have been an exercise that could have been worth it. Uh, the reality is, you know, um, you know, like, you know, you know, this happens all the time. There are cities that, you know, there are cities that pull out uh, World Cups and uh, or women's World Cup. Or you know, I've host, I've been at the forefront of many World Cups now in the last decade mm-hmm. uh, at every level. And you have cities that are all in, and others that, for whatever reason, decide to pull out. And I guess Montreal decided, uh, you know, with their leadership to say that this was just too too difficult for them to uh, either execute at Olympic Stadium or think outside the box with any other solutions, and they decided to pull the plug. When, you know, you've presided, you've once again, you've been to many World Cups, and some cities have been in. You just mentioned it. Some cities have been out. The ones that went in, did anyone ever express to you any kind of regret of going in or saying, we spent too much money. We lost too much money. We should have never done that. No, you know the first of all, you know, tradi- you know, there has been some a couple of World Cups in the past that were stadiums that had to be built uh, be, had become white elephants. Uh, you know, Japan was one of them. Unfortunately, um, I think there's one, maybe two stadiums in Brazil that are not used that much. I think Manaus is one of them. Um, and so from an infrastructure standpoint, that has happened. But in terms of the actual operational uh, profit and the economic impact to the country, uh, I can tell you that the return on that impact is basically a, a, a one for every dollar you put in, you get 10 back. And so, you know, the World Cup, in terms of the fans, TV audiences, it's just second to none, as we know. Um, you know, as I told uh, an NFL owner that uh, I happened to be meeting with last month uh, during the Gold Cup when I said to him, you know, again, we were talking about people that don't understand our sport. When I said to him, hey, uh, I said, how many people you get watching the Super Bowl? And he goes, 100 million. I go, yeah, that's pretty good. I said, you know, I said, you know, when we have the draw for the World Cup, which are a bunch of ping pong balls that you grab, pull out, and you say it's Italy versus Nigeria, Group A? He goes, yeah. I said, well, we got about 200 plus million watching that ping pong balls. He almost fell off his chair, right? So, so, you know, I get it. It's, you know, hey, listen, uh, cities uh, have to make their own decision. Uh, But at the end of the day, for us, it's very simple. Um, You know, if you don't have a stadium, it's pretty difficult to put on the World Cup. The good thing about 26 uh, is that the cities that are in, there's no real issues with their stadiums. I mean, of course, there's going to have to be improvements here and there. I mean, we're still five years out. Um, so, but there's no, there's no stadium that has to be built. Is there uh, any way that if Montreal has thought about it 
and they say, you know what, Victor Montigliani is going to be visiting 22 or 23 cities here from September to November or whatever, we want back in. Is this a closed case or is there a possibility of this door reopening? Well, we are we are going on this uh, visits, uh, like I said, in these three months. We are then selecting cities, um, and we will be announcing those cities in the January timeframe, early next year. Um, and you know, we've always said to everybody, listen, uh, you need to put your best foot forward. Um, the likelihood of that being a reality is probably not very high, but obviously, if, if there's some sort of you know complete change. <laughs> In the city, and they come back with a with a concrete plan and commitments. I mean, FIFA at the end of the day has the right to make a decision, the best uh, the best decision for the World Cup. And if FIFA thinks, in the best decision of the World Cup is to take those commitments, uh, then that's something they would look at. But uh, so I guess in short, the answer would be nothing's ever gone. But you know, the, there's not much left on the runway here since we are uh, planned our visits and we are announcing these cities in January. What a great conversation. I had a lot of fun. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Uh, you're a pretty humble guy, and I know you won't want to take any credit in this, but we talked about our Canadian women winning gold at the Tokyo Olympics. And once again, uh, there were a lot of people behind the scenes, not just now, but back in the day as well, to build the program. And Vic Montigliani, you were one of those people. So cheers to you, uh, because uh, there's a, you, know, you have a part in that medal. Cherry River Heart Seltzer is what I'm having. You'll be happy to know that it's only 90 calories, natural flavors, no preservatives now available in Quebec grocery stores and the beer stores. So here's to you and chin chin salute in. Hopefully, hopefully Montreal will end up being back in the dance at one point here. Hey, nice talking to you. Thanks, Tony. Uh, great having a chat anytime. And uh, take care of yourself, and uh, I, hope to, I hope to see you soon in person. Okay, you too. Ciao, ciao. Thank you. Ciao, ciao. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow The Sick Podcast on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by Essentia, the world's only natural memory foam mattress. Beyond organic sleep, Cherry River Hard Seltzer, only 90 calories, natural flavors, and no preservatives. Now available in Quebec Grocers and The Beer Store. And Johnny Bootlegger's Whiskey Old Fashioned is both refreshing and authentic to the classic cocktail. Available now at Saks near you.